Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource base for autism and much more. I'm very happy to have Dr. Walt Karniski as my guest today. Walt Karniski is a developmental pediatrician and trained at Boston Children's Hospital. He was the director of the Division of Developmental Pediatrics at the University of South Florida for 15 years. He then opened a private practice and for 20 years, evaluated and treated children with ADHD, autism, anxiety, learning disabilities, and other developmental difficulties. During that time, he developed and operated three private schools for children with ADHD, anxiety, and learning disabilities. Over the many years he has been practicing, he has evaluated and treated close to 10,000 children, conducted numerous studies of brain activity in children, and has been director of a child abuse program and a program for enhancing development in children born prematurely. Dr. Karniski approaches each child as a unique individual with distinctive strengths and weaknesses where diagnosis does not matter as much as understanding the specific needs of that child. He has written a new book titled ADHD Medication, Does It Work and Is It Safe? Welcome, Walt. And thank you so much for taking time to join me today to discuss the topic of your book, namely ADHD. Well, thank you, Gilda. It's my, a pleasure to be here and an honor to be invited on your uh, podcast. So I'm look, looking forward to it today. Well, so am I. And thank you for that. So to begin with, how do you know if your child has ADHD and how should someone confirm the diagnosis? Does it present differently in males versus females? And I'm sure a lot of people will, would want to know, can my child simply outgrow it? Um, let me try to answer that question uh, this way by looking at a different disorder first. Um, let me itemize some of the symptoms of stroke. And those symptoms are uh, slurred speech, uh, eye, eye movements that are not synced together, uh, paralysis of one side of the body or weakness of one side of the body, a change in gait. Would you ever call any of those behaviors normal behaviors? Well, no, we, we would want to address them, certainly. Exactly. An immediate, if, if any of those behaviors should cause an immediate trip to the emergency room or call the 911. But the symptoms of ADHD are different. And they're different because every child experiences or even expresses those behaviors at some point or another in their, in their day-to-day uh, activities and in their life. So, for instance, some of the symptoms are forgetting things easily, disorganization, um, distractibility, impulsivity. Every child is impulsive at times. Every child is distracted at times. Every child forgets things at times. Everybody, every child leaves the room uh, like a hurricane just hit it. Uh, so lack of organization occurs in all kids so how I think the, the thing that makes ADHD unique is that those behaviors, all of those behaviors are symptoms of ADHD. 
but but they are also normal normal behaviors. And what the physician, psychologist, psychiatrist, or the educator has to do in order to make a diagnosis of ADHD is two things. First, document that those behaviors are occurring so frequently that they are not considered in the normal range of behaviors. And secondly, that those behaviors are having an adverse effect on that child's development so if it's, if it's affecting his or her learning, uh, the ability to form friendships and re- keep friendships, then, then you have a problem and those behaviors are considered signs of a, a medical neurologic condition called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay, well, what about... Um, the child simply outgrowing it. Let's say, you know, they, they exhibit these various symptoms to an increased degree that would be considered outside the typical range. But a parent will say, oh, it's just because they're young, you know, they'll outgrow it. Russell Barkley, as uh, a psychologist who did a, an excellent study to answer that, that question. And basically what he did was after he took a group of children who had been diagnosed with ADHD as children, and then brought them uh, back when they were 21. He asked the children and the adults to fill out questionnaires, uh, responding to the questions of, do you exhibit these behaviors on a frequent basis, or how often do they occur, and so on. What they found was at 21 years of age, uh, most of the children, I'd say 60% of the, of the children, now adults, uh, said that they did not have those symptoms anymore and that they had outgrown them. But interestingly, about 90% of the parents said that they still had those symptoms. So then what they did was follow the children for another 10 years and brought them back when they were, I think, I believe 29 or 30 years of age and asked them the same questions. And at that age, almost all of the, of the ADHD children, now adults, said that they had started seeing some of those behaviors again, but only occasionally. Whereas when you ask the parents the same question, they said that they're seeing the behaviors frequently and they're interfering with their life and, and, and their development as adults. So I think the point here is that when children exhibit ADHD behaviors, they don't believe that they're doing anything outside the range of normal. They don't believe that they're doing anything that is causing a problem. They just believe that they are being themselves. And indeed they are. But but who they are involves with their ADHD and, and makes it difficult for them to concentrate and attend. You know, it, it's interesting because even though I'm a doctor, medical doctor, I don't believe that ADHD is a disease. I do believe it's a neurologic condition, but it's not a disease. And let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine, if you will, that you're a cave woman. You live in a tribe of about 30 cave people 100,000 years ago. And your job is to go out every morning and to pick berries off a bush. Uh, And so one morning you're out leaning over this bush, picking berries, putting the berries in your leather satchel, and you hear a rustling in the bushes behind you. What should you do? What would you do? 
well, I think I turn around and try and figure out what was rustling in the bushes behind me. If it was just a bird that I wouldn't, or if it was a predator or <laughs> whatever it was. It, it, that's exactly the right, the right response. Many people say they would run, but of course they, if they ran and got back to the cave every time the wind blew, they would bring back an empty satchel and no breakfast and the tribe would get angry at you and then kick you out of the tribe and then you wouldn't have children in that tribe or offspring anymore. But if, but if, you, do, if you turn around and look to see what's causing that rustling in the bushes and it turns out to be a saber-toothed tiger, you can pull your knife and fight him off or you can run. But, it, but in either case, you're more likely to get back to the cave alive. And you're more likely to have children and carry that distractibility gene to the next generation. So distractibility and some a lot of the symptoms of ADHD were actually productive symptoms 100,000 years ago. They kept us alive. They allowed us to have more children and to carry that genetic tendency to the next generation. Suddenly, in the 1800s, we for, start forcing children to go to school uh, they used to learn everything that they learned from their father's blacksmith shop or on their father's, the parents' farm. Now they're learning it in school when they have to sit still and raise their hand when they're called upon. And they weren't necessarily designed to do that. They were designed to be that cave person fighting off saber-toothed tigers and picking berries and bringing them back for, for breakfast. So I guess my point here is that ADHD is not a disease like pneumonia that is caused by bacteria invading the lungs. Instead, ADHD is a group of behaviors that occur in everybody, but occur so frequently and excessive that they are interfering with that child's happiness, development, and life. Well, that's certainly a very interesting analogy. And I'm, I'm glad I passed the test, by the way, um, because I wouldn't okay, have been eaten or, or made, made my fellow cave people angry at me. Um, but um, I so, so out of curiosity, then, um, since we are talking about, you know, um, males and females and, and how this presents or you mentioned it um, briefly, mm -hmm. does it present differently in males versus females? And is there a preponderance of of the condition of ADHD in one versus the other? Um, absolutely. There are two main groups of symptoms that we look for in children with ADHD. Those that relate to attention and uh, staying on task and distractibility. And the second group of behaviors are uh, those behaviors that deal with impulsivity, uh, acting without thinking before you act and, and, and so on. So those two sets of behaviors occur differently in males and females. Males tend to be more active, more impulsive, more uh, easily distracted, uh, more hyperactive. Uh, they also have all of the AD, uh, all of the attention problems, the distractibility, and so on. Girls uh, instead tend to be less hyperactive. Although some girls can be extremely hyperactive, some girls can be extremely impulsive. But overall, most of the girls with ADHD exhibit the attention problems, but not the impulsivity and hyperactivity. So we have three different forms of ADHD. 
Uh, one is ADHD, primarily hyperactive impulsive type. A second is ADHD, primarily um, inattentive type. And then the third type is ADHD combined type, where both sets of behaviors are present. Uh, boys tend to have either the first or the third, the impulsive behaviors or uh, the uh, combined type, whereas girls tend to have this, the second type, the inattentive type. Uh, we don't completely understand why that is, but it's interesting because when I first started seeing kids with ADHD, we were told by, by, by the research that the incidence of ADHD was 10 to 1, males to females. About 20 years ago, I did a review of the literature and found that that ratio had dropped to 5 to 1. And recently, when I was writing this book, I reviewed the literature again, and now it's 3 to 1. And I think that it's due primarily to better recognition in girls we were not recognizing the problem in girls early on. Uh, and, now, and, and I do think that that ratio of three to one is probably incorrect as well, and that eventually we'll find the ratio is one to one. It just expresses itself differently in boys versus girls. It's very interesting because uh, ratios in all sorts of diagnoses are dropping. In fact, um, I saw some literature not long ago that said that where autism, for example, it used to be one in 99, then it was one in 59, then it was one in 49, and um, most recently now one in 20. So we're, we're finding that all of these ratios are dropping and whether it's due to better diagnoses or whether it's due to more awareness, more recognition, whatever it is, um, I, I find that fascinating. Um, so well, the, the, the interesting thing that you just brought up, though, is that the, you said that the, the, the ratio or the incidence of autism is, is increasing. Um, and, it, and indeed, it does seem to be the case. But part of that is due to the fact that about uh, eight to 10 years ago, the American Psychiatric Association came out with a new definition of autism and changed the name from autism to autism spectrum disorder. When they did that, uh, it, it changed the diagnostic criteria and changed the incidence to some degree, although I have to admit that the current definition is a better reflection of what autism is than what it was before. Um, but I think that, that you have to take into account the historical changes that have occurred as well, both in the diagnosis and the recognition that has affected that ratio as well. No, that's a very good point. Um, so uh, getting back to ADHD, though, how do you respond to people who suggest that ADHD is a fabricated diagnosis and it was invented by doctors and pharmaceutical companies to sell more drugs or by schools who can't teach or parents who can't parent? Okay. Well, there's three ways to answer that question. Uh, the first way is to look at the research. Uh, and the, I, I recently reviewed the research and found that over the last 10 to 15 years, approximately 350 research studies are published every year on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Almost every one of those studies documents the benefits or, 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 or the, the, the clear fact that ADHD is a neurologic condition 
and that it responds to medication. And basically what they, a lot of those studies look at are the core symptoms of ADHD, the impulsivity, the hyperactivity, the impulsivity, and document that it can actually improve in a matter of two to three hours after the first dose of medication. So that's the first way that we answer that, that question. We're dealing with a true neurologic condition is to look at the research. And the research clearly documents that the problems in ADHD are due to a chemical imbalance in the brain and not due to poor teaching or pharmaceutical companies that want to make a profit. Now, when we get to the medications later, I can demonstrate places where the pharmaceutical companies have done lots of things to make extra money. Inventing the diagnosis is not one of them. And as a matter of fact, in the book, I give a pretty strong history going back to 1798 about how ADHD was described by physicians back then and how medication was was discovered to be effective in 1937 and 1944. So if, if people are interested in that history, uh, take a look at the, at the book, ADHD. Uh, is it, ADHD medication, does it work and is it safe? And that's the, uh, what should be available for now. The, the, the second way of diagnosing ADHD and, and proving that it's a medical condition is to look what happens when children are medicated versus when they're not medicated. So let's first look at what happens when children are not medicated and then become adults with ADHD. Uh, we know in children that they're more likely to be retained in school, but they're eight times more likely to be expelled from school. They're less likely to finish high school and college. And however, children with ADHD who take stimulant medication are less likely to experience those educational difficulties as adults. If we look at job performance in adults, we find that uh, adults diagnosed with ADHD as children are three times more likely to have been unemployed compared to ADHD adults. They change jobs more frequently, they make less money. One study actually documented that people with ADHDs earned a salary of around $41,000, and people without ADHD earned a salary of $52,000 in the same kind of setting. Socially, there are major differences as well. People, adults with ADHD as children have fewer friends. They uh, move more frequently. They're more likely to become a parent of a child at a younger age, and they're twice as likely to be separated or divorced. Um, they're more likely to have contracted a sexually transmitted disease. They're more likely to have a child born out of, out of marriage. They're more likely to. Have, they're 15 times more likely to have been incarcerated for long periods of time. They're three to five times more likely to have been convicted of a crime. Driving is incredible as well. There are two to six times more accidents in people with ADHD who are, are not on their medication. And when they do have a, an accident, the damage to the car is much more severe, indicating a more severe accident, obviously. So the point here is that, and this is kind of depressing to think that you have, a, if you have a child with ADHD, that child could be subject to problems in all of the areas that I just mentioned. However, the one thing that has been found over and over and over again is that if you look at every one of these behaviors, they do not occur in an increased degree in adults with ADHD if they took medication when they were children.
And that's really astounding. Even if they're not taking medication as adults, they still do better as adults if they took medication as children. And most of the problems that I just listed, they can occur as they can occur in anybody, but they don't occur to a greater degree in people with ADHD if they took medication as children. So that, to me, is pretty convincing evidence that the medication is doing something pretty dramatic. The third method is even more astounding and more stunning, and that is the brain scans that are, that are done. Um, a number of studies have done brain scans in children uh, with ADHD, and what we've found is that children with ADHD have three areas of the brain that are smaller than in children who don't have ADHD. I won't even mention those areas of the brain and talk about what they do, but simply to say there's a consistent finding that these three areas of the brain uh, are smaller in children who have ADHD. And those three areas of the brain, by the way, are important for learning, memory, attention, and avoiding distractibility. However, here's the stunning part. If, if you bring those children back as adults and you scan them again as adults, if they did not take medication as children, they continue to have those three areas of the brain that are smaller. But if they took medication as children, even if they're not taking it as adults, those three areas of the brain are now the same size as what they would have been if they, those adults had not had ADHD as children. In other words, what I'm saying is that the medication may be actually changing the structure of the brain so that it's bringing it back to the, the, the type of brain of children who do not have ADHD. So again, I'm trying to be careful and not call this a disease, and yet it's clearly a neurologic condition supported by these three lines of, in, of research and clearly needs to be addressed with medication first because we're dealing with a medical condition. Well, that last point you made is definitely fascinating about the brain scans and the size of the various portions of the brain. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit more about the various medications that are available. There are a lot of them. Um, so why are there so many? How do they work? Do they work differently? How do you know which one is right? to medicate your child? And what if a parent says, you know what? Yes, my child has ADHD, but it's not that severe or it's not that bad. And, and, and they choose not to medicate and, and they want to try something, uh, an alternate approach, such as counseling, behavioral management, changes in diet, that sort of thing. How, how would you um, address uh, or, or talk to a parent that comes to you with that stance? Um, first place, uh, uh, about 20 years ago, a study was done uh, in six different medical centers across the country involving 300 uh, children with ADHD. And basically what they did is they divided the children up into four groups. Uh, one group was going to get medication for, for their treatment only. The second group was going to get behavior management counseling for the child and for the parents only, but not medication. The third group was sent back to their general pediatricians to do whatever would have normally been done in general practice. And the fourth group um, 
they they did a combination of both medication and behavioral management. And what they found was that the medication group and the medication and counseling group did approximately the same. They both did much better than the group that were not medicated. But they both did about the same. And what that implies is that the, the counseling did, did not necessarily add as much to the treatment as, as would have been thought. And what we found is that if you start trying to teach children how to control their ADHD behaviors and they're not medicated, it's just like anything else that they don't learn in school. Uh, they won't learn those methods either. It's kind of like opening a window. Medication opens the window, but you have to jump through the window to get to the other side. And, and that's, that's the, that, that is the medication. I have to tell you, I have to tell you that when I was in college, uh, one of my professors read to our class uh, a, a notice about uh, the Omaha school districts that fifty percent of the children were on medication. And at that moment, I decided I was going to become a developmental pediatrician um, because I felt that that was astounding and horrendous that that many children were on medication. And, that, and 50 years later, I now find myself in a position of medicating those children that I didn't want to put on medication when I was a college student. And I think the difference is the awareness of what happens to the children when, when they are not medicated and, and then become adults. I, I got a call yesterday from a, a child that I saw 20 years ago. The mother said he's been fired from his job. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, he's married, but he's having difficulty in his marriage. She went through all of the difficulties, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he had uh, reduced his dose of medication and didn't tell her that. He's now 30 years old, and the mother can't do anything to force him to take medication anymore, but she's sitting back on the sidelines worried about what's going to happen to those behaviors in her son. Well, now... Again, there are all different types of medications. There are so many. How do you know which one is right, which one works? And what about some of the more common side effects that people might okay. experience? Um, the, the, the first question about why there are so many different medications is takes a while to answer. And again, I take two chapters in the book to really go over that in detail. But let me first ask you, how many medications do you know that there are available to treat ADHD? Well, I don't know a lot of them. I mean, I know I, the, the most common ones you hear about, I suppose, are Ritalin. Um, and let's, you know, uh, the, the other one, the other one is actually escaping my brain <laughs> at the moment. But, but, Adderall? But, uh, yes, Ritalin, Adderall. Yes. You know. Vyvanse? Yeah, Vyvanse, I've heard of that one as, as well, yes. Okay. Okay. Those are the three most common because of the most frequently prescribed medications now. Are, although Ritalin is not anymore, it used to be. But the interesting thing about it is, is that when I first started treating children with ADHD, there were two medications used to treat ADHD. One was methylphenidate. Methylphenidate is the generic name for Ritalin, and about eight or ten different medications. All have, have methylphenidate in them. 
I'm sorry, it's actually about 20 medications that have methylphenidate in them. And then the second group of medications, Adderall and Vyvanse, their main ingredient is amphetamine. And there's about 16 different medications that have amphetamine in them. So 30 years ago, when I first started dealing with attention deficit disorder children, I had two medications available to me, methylphenidate and amphetamine. Today, I have two medications available to me, methylphenidate and amphetamine, but I have 46 different versions of those two medications available to me. And that makes things extremely confusing. It makes things extremely lucrative for the pharmaceutical companies, and it makes it very confusing for the parents. Why are there so many different medications? Well, one of the things that we found out was with Ritalin, for both Ritalin and Adderall or amphetamine and methylphenidate are in their raw form, in their plain form, only last about three and a half to four hours. So if a child takes a dose of Ritalin at eight o'clock in the morning, it peaks by 9.30, wears off by 11, and he has to take a second dose of medication then, and it wears off by 2.30 or 3. He gets on the bus, and when he gets home, he's irritable and cranky, and yet in school, he was doing a fantastic job. Why is that? Because, because the, the, the Ritalin was causing ups and downs and swings in, in his mood and his emotional state that, um, that, that couldn't be addressed by that medication. So the newer medications, most of them last longer. They last eight to nine hours. One medication uh, comes, and, 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 and in addition, they come in different forms. So some of the medications are in um, chewable uh, tablets where a five or six or seven-year-old child uh, can't swallow a, a pill or a capsule. Um, they also come in orally dissolving tablets. So if they put it in their mouth, it'll dissolve and whether they like, whether they swallow it or not. Uh, it comes in skin patches that, la- that can last up to 24 hours if you leave the patch on that long. Um, so the, 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 what, what the difference is that we now have short-acting pills, long-acting pills, pills that come in capsules, pills that can be cut in half and divided, pills that can be opened up and sprinkled on yogurt or, or ice cream so that the kids can take them more easily. Oh, I didn't even mention liquid forms. There's about six different liquid forms of medication that allow you to titrate the dose even more uh, finely. For instance, Concerta is a medication that comes in 18 uh, 27, 36 milligrams, but with the liquid form of methylphenidate, you can give any gradation between there to get a really refined d- dose. So the fact that there are now 46 medications approved by the uh, FDA sounds confusing, but in a way it has really helped the children and the parents, giving them more options uh, and the physicians more options to treat the children appropriately. Okay. By the way, in that 46 medications, there's 10 non-stimulants that are not amphetamine or, or, or um, methylphenidate. And those 10 medications are not nearly as effective as the stimulants, but they also work on ADHD and decrease many of the side effects of ADHD. Okay. Um, so there really aren't that many in terms of the formulation, you know, and the basic 
way they work, but it's it's the different forms and the different durations and that sort of thing. Exactly. Right. We're still really dealing with two the same two medications that we had in 1940. Okay. Well, now, what about side effects, though? What are some of the more common ones, and how are those addressed in terms of you know when 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 they might happen in terms of their severity and and do they interfere with anything and that sort of thing? I'm sure people would want to know. Okay. Well, as far as the side effects go, before I actually list the side effects, I'm going to make a bold statement. And that is that, that there is no, ev- uh, no evidence that these medications, methylphenidate and amphetamine, carry any increased risk for children compared to the benefits that they, that they incur. Uh, there, that none of this, there are frequent side effects to these medications, but they're irritating side effects. None of these side effects are life-threatening. None of them are severe. And none of them last beyond the time that the child is on medication. So if a child gets developed side effects to a medication, when you stop the medication, within 24 hours, that side effect is going to go away. The two most common side effects are appetite suppression and sleep difficulties. And it, th- these problems occur, or th- they are both time-related and dose-related side effects. And what I mean by that is a time-related side effect means that, if, for instance, if you give a dose of Ritalin that's five milligrams and you give it at eight o'clock in the morning, it's going to be worn off by, mi- by noon. It's not going to have any effect on your appetite at dinner or your sleep. But if you take that same dose of medication at six o'clock in the evening, it's going to decrease your appetite at dinner and make it a bit difficult for you to fall asleep at night. So they're both time-related. The sooner you give them, the, when, the, when the medication is active, then it can cause those two side effects. So basically what it comes down to is when those side effects develop, and you can predict that they will almost always occur at some point, that they can be mediated by changing the time that the dose is given, by changing the dosage itself, maybe reducing the, the dose at the, at the second dose in the afternoon. Or uh, in, in, in some cases, we can add a second medication to counter the side effects, but usually that's not necessary. So there, there, are, there are other side effects of uh, the stimulant medications the, the beyond appetite and sleep, irritability is one of the most common. And again, it's really not a side effect of the medication itself. It's a side effect of how the medication is prescribed. So if a short-acting medication is used, medication is more likely to wear off quickly. When it wears off quickly, it's more likely to cause the child to be irritable, grumpy, uh, sad, and maybe even depressed. Um, let me, but, but, but some of that's open for interpretation as well. I, one time, let me tell you a story. I one time saw uh, an eight-year-old child, easily diagnosed him with ADHD. Everything confirmed it, the, the psychological testing, the teacher questionnaires, the parent test questionnaires, and the behavior that I saw in the office. So I started him on medication. Parents came back in two weeks for their first follow-up visit. And I said, well, how are things going? And the mother said, well, at school, they're going great. He's getting all A's now. The teacher says he's a model student. He's one of the the brightest kids in the class. 
and things are going really well. And I said, well, that's nice to hear. It's very good. And she said, but at home, he's depressed. And I said, depressed? What do you mean that he's depressed? She said, well, yeah, at home, he walks in the door, rips off his book bag, throws it on the floor, goes to his room, and he reads for two hours. And I looked at her and I said, what's wrong with that? And she said, well, doctor, are you, are you mad? He's never been like this before. He used to walk in the door, drop his book bag on the floor, run into the living room, grab, jump uh, in front of the cat, pull the cat's tail. The cat would go yelling. I would, they would knock over a lamp. And, and in through all that, my husband would walk in the door into this chaos. And, and so I said, but let's go back to the dropping the book bag on the floor and going back to his room and reading for two hours. If he had been this way all his life, would you be concerned that the, your seven-year-old child was going back and reading for two hours every day? And she said, well, no, of course not. And she said, well, that's your child when he's not, when he doesn't have ADHD. And that's what the medication does. So yes, medication changes him. Yes, medication changes his personality to some degree. But in many ways, it changes the, the mood and personality to a form that is more productive and, and allows the child to feel more successful, increase his self-esteem, and feel better about himself. So let's go, you know, what I, I could avoid medication. Uh, if you remember, go back to the, the, the caveman example that I gave before. All I have to do is invent a time machine, and when I diagnose ADHD, send children back in time 100,000 years and let them be part of a, of a tribe, a cave tribe. But, of course, that's not, uh, that doesn't solve the problem, and I haven't been very successful in, in, in inventing time travel either. <laughs> well, if you do if you do please let us know because then you have a whole other career ahead of you <laughs> exactly right. but but i think that's an important point to to make is by the time you see these symptoms affecting the lives of the, these children now as adults it's too late it, 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 the time has passed you can you can start an adult who's 32 on medication for the first time, but they're not going to see the same benefits that they saw before. And why is that? Because they've had 20 or 32 years of dealing with uh, criticism from teachers, criticism from friends saying they want to, don't want to play with them anymore because they're too aggressive, um, criticism from uh, their football coaches because they're not paying attention and uh, doing backflips in the, in the outfield. So, I don't think people realize that what an untreated ADHD child has to go through in life. It's not pretty. It's not, it's, it's, and, and um, when you when you have a medication that has no serious side effects and no long-term lasting side effects, and actually the only change that we physical change that we can see in the brain is seen as a positive change. I don't know how you can avoid at least giving medication a try. Well, Walt, you've certainly given us some food for thought and some fascinating information today. So how can our listeners 
find out more or reach you if they have questions? Um, I have a website. Uh, the website is uh, straightforward, titled ADHDmedicationbook.com. Let me repeat that again. That's ADHDmedicationbook.com. Uh, that's all one word, no dots or periods between them. Uh, and at that site, by the way, I have uh, recently added, and it's not finished yet, but I recently added a medication selection tool where you can go in and say, I want the medication to last three to four hours. I want the oral medication and I want it to be methylphenidate. And it'll print out a list of medications that meet those criteria. Uh, so you can put in any criteria that you want and then see a list of those medications. Um, the, the other thing is uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. Um, it's easy to order. You can order directly from the uh, publisher as well, Roman and Littlefield, but it's just as easy to get it from Amazon. All right. Well, thank you, Walt, so much for your time and for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure being here, and, and your questions have been right on the mark. They're the questions that I think are at the front of the minds of most parents with children with ADHD. Well, thank you so much, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Thank you, Glenda. I appreciate it. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.